0: Also, Homes.com Collaboration Tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. I drive,
2: center field, hit the wall, grand slam!
1: This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Hey there.
0: Happy Monday. We've got a head-to-head points mock draft recap today and some more moves being made, including one by my Yankees. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today. On January 25th, Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Big weekend, boys. I joined the Scott White Dynasty League along with the Welsh, and I don't know Greg's last name, so I'm just gonna call him Roto Greg because that's what his Twitter handle is. Handle is so Roto
1: Greg. Welcome to the league as well. Uh, we I would say it, his, I would tell you what his last name is, but I'm not. I'm not sure if he'd want me. I think he, he, he goes by a nom de plume. You can't. Uh, you can't <laughs> risk outing him to the world like that. All right. But, I'm sure he'll chime in if he wanted me to say it. So I'll. Uh, Roto Greg has joined the Dynasty League as well. Yes.
2: We could just call him Greg. I think Voltaire wanted people to know his real name.
0: (laughs) I was (laughs) going to say, like, he he could be like Cher, just go by one name. His name is just Greg, and that's it. Um, But, you know, I think this might be useful for other people to know when teams are leaving their league or league managers are leaving their Dynasty League. uh, What do you do if multiple teams are leaving at once? And we had a dispersal draft, which meant that among the three teams that were vacated, uh, we basically just had a draft with all of the players combined that were on those three teams. So I had the first pick, and I took Wander Franco. So boom!
1: Take that, Scott. Hey, a, a lot of people are probably out there thinking, who leaves a Dynasty League when they have Wander Franco? That is a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could tell you who it would mean nothing to you, but yeah, that's it, that's. Just don't say the that, last that's, name. That's surprising.
0: Yep. So I've got Wander Franco. I've got some other players. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk about it a few more times throughout the off season. Speaking of the off season, Scott, what's this? Uh, what's this? No trading allowed. I know Nando told me to bring it up. He said, "How dare you, Nando?
1: <laughs> Nando, Nando, Nando." All right. So the argument for trading in the off season is trading is fun, which you know can't be disputed. The main reason I don't allow trading in this dynasty league is, is it was mainly, it was one of the main reasons I decided to set up my own dynasty league in the first place, because I saw in other dynasty leagues I was in, it would often play out that a team in contention would trade all of its long-term assets for short-term acquisitions. Right. And it's like, okay, well they're going after the title. It's going to hurt them later. You know they're gonna feel it later, but you know for right now it, it, they want the title. It makes sense, but then the off season would come. They they'd they'd already won their championship, and then they just trade off all those short term pieces they acquired for long term assets. And it was just like chasing your tail. Like it 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 wasn't rewarding like a long term vision. It wasn't rewarding what I think a dynasty league should reward. It was just rewarding like hustle basically. Who whoever that sounds
2: like a vision.
1: I thought it was lame. I thought it was not in the spirit of what a dynasty league should be. Scott waves, not windows. Well, that is
2: the perfect waves, not windows strategy. That's not, just making
1: a wave every, that's every year. not how I interpret that. Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't want just the people who had the most time to spam other people with trade offers to, you know, have an easy ride. That wasn't what I wanted to, my dynasty league to be. And so, uh, eliminating off season trading, uh, does away with that. And it also makes a lot of trade interest in the, in during the season. This is an active league trade wise and the trade deadline when you, you know, in season, it's your last chance to trade, make trades before, like, you know, before the, like trading opens against the, again, the next season. Yeah. It's it can it's a frenzy and it's it's wonderful. People mm. like it. People like it. Other than Nando people like it. I've heard feedback. It's good. Speaking of trading, uh Chris has Joe Musgrove on his team, so I'm sure
0: we'll we'll be in touch Chris. Musgrove
2: we'll, for Franco. Let's get it done.
0: Send it. Send it. Deal well done. Put your
2: money where your mouth is, Frank. <laughs>
0: All right, enough Dynasty talk. Uh, we have some acquisitions to talk about. Again, head-to-head points, mock draft recap, and some mailbag questions later on. Send your questions in. baseball at CBSi.com. I'm not sure if this is the biggest news item, but I'll just lead with it anyway. Jamison Tyone was traded to the New York Yankees for four prospects, three of which were ranked inside the top 30 in the Yankees organization. 22-year-old pitcher Miguel Jahure think I got that right. 21-year-old outfielder, Kanan Smith, 21-year-old pitcher, Rowenzi Contreras, and 18-year-old infielder, Michael Iscato. Um, Scato White, What is uh, what does this move do for uh, Jameson Tyone's fantasy value? He's going outside the top 200 right now. Someone, sneak peek, I like as a sleeper. He's in the uh, Sleepers 1.0 article, so I liked him already. What, is, what does this do for his value, if anything, Scott?
1: Yeah, I like him too. It's a worse park. It's a tougher division. All of that, uh, but I mean, going from a team that's aiming for 50 wins to a team that's aiming for 150 wins, or at least 100, uh, that's that's always a good thing for a pitcher. It's it's hard to be it's hard to be a decent pitcher and a very good fantasy pitcher when you play for a team as bad as the pirates appear to be aiming to be. So this, this can only help Tyone's fantasy value. He has been a good ground ball pitcher over the years. So, you know, in in theory, the park shouldn't hurt him that much. Although, I mean, one of the strongest cases for Tyone being a sleeper is that the same thing we've seen from a lot of talented pirates pitchers who, did not deliver on expectations. As soon as they leave the Pirates, their arsenal gets tweaked and it's, it's pretty consistently, they were throwing too many two seamers under Ray Searage and, um, you know, pitching to contact as opposed to, to maximizing their bat missing capabilities. And if Tyone follows suit, it seems like he has the arsenal there for the taking to follow suit. If he comes back from this Tommy John, second Tommy John surgery, looking healthy uh, he he could he could be a nice find for the Yankees, and I agree with you. He's a sleeper. Uh, we put out sleepers 1.0 over the weekend, and uh, we each picked five sleepers for it. When sleepers 2.0 comes out, and I can expand it from that five, Tyone will also be included in my sleepers.
2: Mm. For what it's worth. The Pirates did drop from 59.3% fastball usage in 2019 to 49.1% in 2020, and that was... Uh, pretty much what we expected. They they were a team who, uh, like you said, under Ray Serge had been, you know, working by like early two thousands rules maybe. Like they had some success in their in the, you know, kind of early twenty tens with like Yvonne Nova and Francisco Liriano and AJ Burnett. Um, and it kind of made Ray Serge untouchable in the organization, and they just got kind of left behind by the the industry and. Uh, you know, last season, I think they they started to make the changes that we needed to see. So I would have expected that Jamison Tyone would have made some changes to his arsenal regardless.
0: Yeah, and he is making other changes as well outside of his, uh, his arsenal. I read a few articles today on uh, Jamison Tyone, and this one was from Lindsay Adler over at The Athletic. Uh, she wrote, he has made big changes to his mechanics, shortening his arm path and working to generate more power from his legs both of which can help him protect his elbow. Apparently, he was pitching through elbow pain for the past, uh, for five years. He had Tommy John surgery um, back in 2014, or he returned in 2014 from Tommy John surgery, and he said that I was pitching through pain for five years, and that's ultimately why he wound up having the second Tommy John surgery back in 2019, Um, but we do remember that he started to break out in that that 2018 season, the second half of that 2018, because he started using this, new slider more that he had never used before um, and helped him. I believe it was his final 22 starts in 2018, two seven one ERA one one four whip. He was like a top 70 pick in, in, in 2019. So there was a lot to like about him. But, but speaking of that slider, he mentioned that it was, it was more of a cutter in the past and he was like prioritizing speed with it. And according uh, according to an article at the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, he's added more spin to the pitch, creating depth to his slider. So I just think with all these different things coming uh going on with him in conjunction, it'd be like 18, 19 months removed from Tommy John surgery when he returns in February and March here. Um, and he has this, he has new mechanics, he has this new slider with more spin. I think there's a lot to like. So he's going outside the top 200. I assume he'll probably rise up draft boards just because it's like the Yankees tax. But not enough where I, I think that you can't still draft him. So, uh, pretty excited about Jamison Tyone. The Nationals made a move as well. They are making a bit of a run here. Uh, they signed Brad Hand to a one year, $10.5 million deal. On the surface, he had a great year, fantastic year. 205 ERA, 077 whip. He led baseball with 16 saves in the shortened season. Uh, but, Scott, under the hood, fastball velocity. Dropped about a tick and a half from 2019 to 2020. Swinging swinging strike rate dropped uh, 3%. You have him ranked as your RP6. I have him ranked as as my RP7. So we still kind of like him. I think that's just because we know he's going to be the closer. But there's some stuff under the hood that's a little scary with with, uh, Brad Hand.
1: Yeah, I understand the case people are making against him. And it's... It's rational enough. I I will point out that if you just look at, oh, look at the way this number's been trending and and look at the way the velocity's been trending, it's missing some context just doing that because, like, you got to throw the second half of 2019 out. He had an injury that he was pitching through, eventually got shut down. It totally skewed his numbers for the whole season. He was awesome in the first half of 2019. Um, You know, the fact he came back last year with excellent numbers, But with reduced velocity, with a reduced swing strike rate, you know, that's that's kind of a mixed bag. The velocity did get better over the course of the season. And of course, Brad Hand wasn't the only one who we saw his velocity way down at the start of the season. So that's one thing. The other thing is we're talking 22 innings. And the other thing is like it's hard for me to get that worried about any one closer candidate in particular, because it's just such a volatile role. (laughs) We're worried about all all of them. (laughs) They're all a bad week away from disaster, you know, like, so he had a good year. Uh, I I don't know.
2: And one thing I'll point out is the, the dip in
1: whiff rate,
2: um, largely comes from one. There were just, the hitters were swinging in fewer pitches last season. He went from like a 47% swing rate to like 42%. Um, and if you actually look under the, the, the hood for the pitches themselves, he fell from a 42.6% whiff rate with his slider to a 38.6% rate uh, in 2020. That's not nothing, but given that we're talking about a closer, you know, we're talking about uh, he threw one hundred and eighty-four sliders. It's it's not nothing, but you're talking about maybe the difference between four swings and misses over the course of uh, the twenty twenty season, mm-hmm. which makes me think that it it's not necessarily nothing, but it could just be small sample noise. Yeah, it, it could just be small sample noise. It could just be that there was something going on that he can fix, or you know, yeah. But the the, the results were so good and this is something that i'm I'm trying to kind of keep in my head is that like especially for this season there's such a a, a desire to find meaning in these you know 20 innings that relievers through or the 65 innings that pit starters through or whatever that were like drilling deep into you know hey his swinging strike right on his slider and it that all matters but The overall numbers were still really good. He still got a lot of strikeouts. He still didn't give up a lot of walks. He gave up a lot of fly balls. That's become a problem over the last couple of seasons for him. But overall, he still looked very good. And if the bar is he's not quite the Brad Hand he used to be, the Brad Hand he still is can still be a pretty good Brad Hand.
1: I I do think some of the negative reaction to this signing among fantasy baseball analyst is frustration that Tanner Rainey doesn't get a chance to hold down the role now because I thought the Nationals were ready to turn it over to him the way they were talking about him at the end of last year mm-hmm. Daniel Hudson was falling apart and uh, Tanner Rainey's numbers were awesome so are Brad Hands yeah awesome for Brad a long hands, actually <laughs> yeah
0: uh Scott just give me a name here the ADP for Brad hand is 130.3 would you rather have Brad hand or James Karinchek? I'd rather have
1: Karen Jack. The assumed closer for
0: Cleveland. Um, I guess we'll find out throughout yeah. spring training. But he's
1: like, he's like a ridiculous, like Devin Williams. His strikeout rate alone was basically good enough to make him a fantasy asset without the saves and Karen Jack can match him. So he's like, he might be the best strikeout artist among closers, or at least up there with Josh Hader.
0: Brad Hand or Kenley Jansen? Hand. Alrighty, the Red Sox signed Enrique Hernandez, also known as Kike Hernandez, to a two-year deal. While uh, and they also signed Garrett Richards to a one-year deal. Uh, Hernandez really known for being a platoon player. Eight twenty OPS against lefties in his career. Six seventy three against righties. Uh, Garrett Richards had some solid starts last season, but was he was pretty inconsistent overall. Anything to see here, Scott?
1: Not really. I think Enrique Hernandez is going to be pretty much the same guy he's always been. He might play a lot more at the start of the year, but they got Jeter Downs. They're probably going to want to work in at some point. They still got to find at-bats for Michael Chavis. So, I'm not excited about that and and Richards. I mean, he has a lot to prove at this point.
0: Before we hit our head-to-head points mock draft, I do just want to plug a few things. Um, Do you own a smart speaker? Maybe you got one as a Christmas gift. You're still working through the the kinks, figuring it out. Uh, but whether it's an Alexa or a Google Home, you can listen to FBT without lifting a finger. Simply say, "Alexa, play the latest episode of Fantasy of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast," or "Hey Google, play the latest episode of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast." And it's as easy as that. It'll come through your smart speakers. So. If if you have one, make sure to give it a try. And uh, we haven't seen Chris's sassy cats yet today on the podcast. They're fighting right now. They're, they're fighting. like lying <laughs> off screen, but they just started fighting. We, we haven't heard them yet. We've heard them a few times recently. Uh, but if you'd like to see them, you can do so on our, on our YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's YouTube.com slash Fantasy Baseball today. Uh, well, what do we got here? You, I'll give you a little play-by-play. Can you, no, play. you can't see them. You can't see them. can't really no, see them. All right. You can see them now. Yeah, no. They know the camera's on them, so they're not fighting anymore. They're like, no, no, daddy, we're camera shy. (laughs) Uh, But hit that big red subscribe button over on our YouTube. Hit the little alarm bell as well, and you will get a notification every time we upload a new video to YouTube. Head-to-head points league mock draft recap. It's worth noting Scott's Dynasty League is a head-to-head points league as well. And some people have emailed in calling me out that, at times, I'm a little biased towards Roto and head-to-head categories, uh, so I will try to work in head-to-head points more. I play in a ton of leagues. My longest-standing keeper league is a head-to-head points league. I love the format, so that's really what we're going to focus on today, a mock draft that we did last week. And on CBS, a points league starting lineup consists of one catcher, one, star, uh, one first baseman, one second baseman, one third baseman, one shortstop, three outfielders, one utility bat, five starting pitchers, and two relief pitchers, five bench spots. That's 21 total players on your head-to-head points league team. In Roto, you start two catchers instead of one, add a middle infielder, add a corner infielder, two more outfielders, you add one more pitcher, so you have to... Actually, no, it would be two more. You start two more pitchers, nine total. That's 23 starters in your lineup, plus your bench uh, makes it a much deeper draft uh, and just league in general than a points league Roto versus points league. And the scoring could be different uh, d- depending on where you look. There's a lot of best ball leagues out there and just other websites in general that run points leagues, but maybe I'm just partial because I've played on CBS for so long, but I really, I enjoy the the format that we have and it's a point for a single two for a double three for a triple four points for a home run uh, and then one for each of a walk hit by pitch RBI Run scored two points for a steal, which is why we generally devalue some of the, the speedsters. Uh, and minus one for a caught stealing, minus half a point for a hitter strikeout. And that's why typically we devalue guys like Miguel Sano and Joey Gallo, who uh, strike out quite a bit. You know, 30 plus percent of the time. You might want to fade those guys uh, in this format typically. For pitchers, you get three points per inning. That's one point per out. Uh, You gain half a point per strikeout. You lose one point for every hit, walk, hit by pitch, earn run allowed. Uh, and then you get three points for a quality start, seven points for a win or save, and minus five for a loss. That was a mouthful. I just kind of wanted to set it up in case people were wondering how the scoring Wait, system how many, works. How many points for a walk? You get, you lose one for a pitcher. You gain one for a hitter, Chris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. you no, know,
1: I'm glad you set it up because there are a few common distinctions that make a big difference. I've seen a lot of head-to-head points leagues that award just 1 point for a stolen base rather than 2, which really tanks the value. Yeah, devalues those guys even more. I've seen some where uh, a strikeout is a full negative 1 for a hitter. Uh innings pitched is only 1 point instead of our 3, and you know, that it 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 does make a big difference. So, yeah. Um I like three points per inning. I like minus half a point strikeouts for hitters, two points for steal. I I like the way we have it. Yeah, I agree.
0: I like it as well. And a good to great start for a pitcher usually will get you between 20 and 25 fantasy points. You'll get the occasional 30 plus for some of those ace guys. Um, While a good hitter will will do something similar in a week. But it's... Two star pitchers are just massive, and people, you know, they'll hoard two star pitchers because you know you get two good starts. Next thing you know, you get forty plus fantasy points in a given week from your starting pitcher. And um, you get two me- mediocre starts, and you can get as much as one guy gets from his ace. Yes, or you can get two bad where, starts. <laughs> yeah, two where a guy gets,
2: <laughs> but <laughs> even then, bad starts in a points league don't hurt you as much
0: as bad starts do in a in a
2: roto league. So even there's very little downside to a two star
0: pitcher. Yes, that is a fair point. Um but it's just a, it's a terrible feeling. When you start a two-star pitcher and you get like single digit points uh, yeah, or just it's not great. It's it's I, a terrible I
1: feeling. I think it's become especially in in the stage we're in now with with pitching where there's really not much of a middle class at that position. It's become kind of an overrated strategy like it's pretty much always one stud over a mm-hmm. two-star waiver pickup and I'd I'd pretty much never break that rule.
0: And I I think that's typically why we have preached, I have preached, going pitching heavy in a points league so that you can get pitchers that you can depend on. So with all of that set up, Scott, what is your uh, overarching general strategy
1: for head-to-head points leagues? So for a 12-teamer like this, and you don't often see head-to-head points leagues bigger than 12 teams, Um, hitters have... Hitters are very replaceable for me. There are the true studs that you can get in the early rounds, and of course, they have value. They're they're worth investing in up to a point. Um, but then th- there reaches a point where, like, there are going to be so many hitters emerging off the waiver wire in in this format because. You know, you don't have the skill specialization. The lineup is so small in terms of how many hitter spots there are to fill. they are going to be more quality hitters than can go around. And so you should, like, lean into that. Um, I'm not saying you don't invest any early round picks in hitters. Those are true difference makers there at the top. But going pitching heavy... Uh, It's worth doing in all formats. I think it's especially worth doing in this format, because this is the format where you can totally construct your lineup on the fly during the season. And it'll, it'll probably turn out pretty good as long as you're attentive.
0: And maybe I'm wrong on this, but it just feels like it's much easier to find hitters on the waiver wire. Whether it's just streaming yeah. throughout the year or just breakout hitters, you know names that pop up early. So you want to be aggressive with some of those waiver wire hitters if you take pitching early on in your head-to-head points league. But I've I found that it's it's easier to find reliable hitters on waivers versus reliable pitchers. Uh, so our draft, twelve teams. I had the third pick. Scott had the fourth pick. Chris had the eleventh pick. You can find the draft results on the site cbsports.com Slash uh, slash fantasy slash baseball. The link is at the top of the podcast and YouTube description. So whether you're listening or watching, uh, you can click on that link and you could follow along, see the draft while we're talking about it right now. So in the first round, the first overall pick, you know, had to be one of you know Trout or or Mookie Betts or or maybe a starting pitcher, right? We're talking about pitchers. Wrong. It was Juan Soto. First overall to Dan Gilbert. Soto just averaged 4.7 fantasy points per game. That was the most among all all hitters. And that was following a bout with COVID. And he's just 22 years old. 41 walks versus 28 strikeouts. So that type of plate discipline will definitely play up in this format. I wouldn't do it. uh, But I don't think it's crazy either.
2: This is a format that does lend itself to Juan Soto's strengths. Because he's not like he's not an elite home run guy. You know, last year his pace was right around 40, but that feels, you know, feels closer to his ceiling than like Mike Trout, whose ceiling is probably 50. Um, You know, he hits a lot of doubles, but you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where his all around game may not translate quite as well to the five category Roto uh, play. I mean, you know, obviously it depends if he's going to hit three fifty again, he's going to be a stud in any (laughs) format, but, um, you know he probably ranked a little better, I would guess the first two seasons of his career in a points league than a roto league um and so you know, just the play discipline the the all around hitting skills without necessarily the the dominance in either home runs or stolen bases, I think does lend him to being a little more valuable in this format
0: after Juan Soto went first overall, we saw Ronald Acuna go off the board, maybe a little bit early for him, but showed. Uh, improved plate discipline last year in terms of his walks. He still struck out quite a bit, but the walk rate was like 18%. We were talking about that on the the outfield tiers preview that we did. Uh, So Acuna, still really, really good in a points league as well. Um, And then I took Garrett Cole with the third overall pick. I I think we did a mock, Scott, a couple months ago, and I had first overall pick, and I I took Garrett Cole there as well. Um, I have Cole, Bieber, and DeGrom, uh, well, Cole, DeGrom, Bieber in that order as my first three players overall in head-to-head points league. Why? The shallower lineups, talked about it, makes it easier to find hitters on waivers. Last year, Bieber outscored all hitters. Two years ago in 2019, Cole and Verlander scored all hitters, uh, outscored all hitters. In 2018, Verlander and Max Scherzer outscored all hitters. So the upside based on this scoring format is there for elite starting pitchers to outscore every other hitter in the league. So the last question, I guess, is why Cole over DeGrom? Uh, Cole has outscored DeGrom in two of the last three seasons. He does consistently go a little bit deeper. So I'll give him a slight edge there. If you want to go DeGrom, I have no problem with it. Scott, is this this too early for Garrett Cole or DeGrom, third overall?
1: No. No. I mean, not for, like, if Garrett Cole's your favorite pitcher, I don't have a problem with you taking him third overall. My own rankings have a pitcher third overall, but it's Shane Bieber. You know, I go Bieber, Grom Cole when I'm ranking those three. Uh, and I have them third, fourth, and sixth in my head-to-head points rankings. But, you know, I don't know that we want to do the Cole versus Bieber debate here and now. Uh, I went right after you. What was interesting here is I went right after you, fourth pick in this draft, and none of my top four had gone off the board yet. Uh, so I have Mike Trout number one in this format. I have Mookie Betts two, Shane Bieber three, as I mentioned, Jacob DeGrom four. I, I went with Mike Trout. I went with my rankings. I'm not sure how I felt about it. it. It with my top pitch with my number one and number two pitchers still there at number four, and you know I have them ranked third and fourth, so I get the fourth pick. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to start with a pitcher. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I'm happy with the way the team turned out, making taking Mike Trout here versus a Shane Bieber. I really don't know. I, I don't. Hate the way my pitching staff looks, but it just—it just, it just kind of—I felt like I was playing catch up at, at starting pitcher because I didn't have a pitcher already in, in the first round, and it, it led me to make some decisions along the hitting front that kind of left me with some weaknesses there. Again, like I said at the top, this is the format to leave yourself hitting weaknesses because there will be options later on, but mm-hmm. it's still not ideal to go into the season that way.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mentioned the stat last week, Trout and Betts, very consistent in both formats, head-to-head points and in Roto categories leagues. Uh, Trout and Betts are the only two hitters to average at least four fantasy points per game in each of the past three seasons based on the scoring format. So they are still really, really good. uh, But... I, I prefer the pitching, sounds like Scott might have preferred it as well. But who needs pitching anyway? Chris's first two picks, Christian Yelich and Jose Ramirez at 11 and 14th overall. Yelich uh, averaged 4.7 uh, fantasy points per game in 2019. That was the most among all hitters before he got hurt that season. And Jose Ramirez led all hitters in fantasy points in 2018. So, I, you know, Chris, based on where you were at at that point, the top three starting pitchers off the board. Uh you Darvish went at pick 12 right after you. I, I don't think you necessarily had to pull them off the board. I'm talking up pitching, but I don't mind you doing this actually, because if they're your two best players, they're two really, really good hitters for this format.
2: Yeah, they were the two best players on my board. Um, you know, I, I think like if if Freddie Freeman had fallen one more spot, I might have been willing to take him. I, I do have those three starting pitchers ahead of those guys. They're all in my top six. So if any of them had fallen, I would have been willing to to make that choice. But given the way the draft went, technically I have uh Bryce Harper ahead of them in head to head points, but I, that's one I'm not really super fond of. So I think I'd rather, I, I think that's probably one before we actually publish them. I'm going to move <laughs> we down. Um,
1: <laughs> we got some reckoning to do with our rankings. It sounds like,
2: yeah, I mean, look, we still oh, yeah. got like, 30 hours until they're they're live on the site. So (laughs) there's time. Um, But yeah, I just Yelich and and Ramirez. I think they're kind of both a little underrated in, in frankly, both formats. I I think I have them uh, both ranked higher than the consensus in Roto as well. And um, I'm not really concerned at all about Yelich's 2020. It just, it was such a short season, such a weird season. Uh, and the problems that he had were never problems before in a way that like if he had the strikeout rate and he wasn't hitting the ball, okay, with hitting the ball well, that would be one thing, but he still crushed the ball. I think he had the highest average exit velocity of his career. So I have no concerns about that. And Ramirez kind of still feels like we're dinging him for that weird uh, like end to 2018 start to 2019, but. Basically, outside of that, it was like 140 games or something. He's been one of the three or four best hitters in fantasy. And so uh, I'm thrilled to get him there.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm past that. I have no concern over that with Jose Ramirez anymore. Like, Maybe the only thing is the, si- is the over lineup. Over the last but- three years, he's number six in fantasy points amongst hitters. And that's including,
2: uh, you know, that basically, you know, being not that version of himself for, you know, almost a full season. So that tells you how good he's been otherwise.
0: The rest of the second round, pretty standard here. Clayton Kershaw a little bit early at pick 17. Bryce Harper, ahead of Cody Bellinger, talked about that last week. Love it. RJ White took Nolan Arenado, pick 19 after he took Shane Bieber in the first round. Um, Anthony Rendon was still there for him in the third. So, yeah, I mean, that's what we talked about with the tiers, right? It's like, why take Arenado or Machado in the second when you know you could get Rendon in, in the third round. Uh, Scott, if you, if you had that sixth pick and you took Shane Bieber, who would you have taken in that second round spot just after Arenado? Scherzer, Bauer, Nola, Cody
1: Bellinger. Who would I have taken instead of Arenado there? Yeah, unless you would have taken Arenado. No, I wouldn't have taken Arenado. I would have taken, in this format, I would have taken both Bregman, who I did take in round three several picks later, uh, or Rendon. I have Rendon ahead of Arenado in this format as well. Um, but I don't think there's a need to take any of those third basemen here. I uh, so he already took a pitcher. You're saying in round one? Yep, he had Bieber. Uh, I I think I might have taken a second pitcher. If I took a hitter, it would have been Cody Bellinger instead of Arenado. But I probably myself would have taken Trevor Bauer, who's my number four pitcher, and who I have going. Uh, you know, he's number eleven in my ranking, so I have him as a first rounder so to get him midway through the second I think I just get those two aces to start off and then you know grab a few hitters after that that's probably what I would have done if I had to go hitter. I would have gone Cody Bellinger though
2: I I could see it have being a case where it was like Harper was the end of a tier for him and you know the next starting pitchers who went were Scherzer and Bauer I get being a little worried about both of those guys I have you know We'll talk about it tomorrow on, on the Sleepers Recons Bus podcast. But I have Bauer as a bus this year. Mm. Well, I tried that last year because it didn't didn't really work out very well. But I tried <laughs> that in 2019 and or actually I tried the opposite in 2019 and <laughs> it didn't work out well at yeah. all. So, so no. uh, whenever you think you have Trevor Bauer figured
0: out, you uh you you don't. I, um I believe the phrase is once bitten, twice shy. Mm. I, I love these like philosopher sayings, philosophizing that that you you bring, Chris. Because That's, it's from Last Christmas by Wham. Oh, I love that mm. song. I just heard your cat's fighting. I, <laughs> yeah. I love the song, yeah. but I don't remember that lyric. So I'm going to have to go back and, I, I, and listen to it. I would, I would right think most
1: people would go with fool me once, fool me twice. That, <laughs> that saying, right? But Chris, Chris likes to mix it up.
0: Once bitten and
2: twice shy. Oh,
0: you know when you say it like that, when you sing yeah, it? I've got it's
2: it. It's the start of the second
1: verse.
0: <laughs> I love it. Love it. Uh, fast forward to the third round here. I started my draft with uh, Garrett Cole and Aaron Nola. Nola, I have as my SP four. Uh, Scott has Trevor Bauer. I think you know it's up for debate. Whoever has, uh, whoever you have in that SP four spot. So I got two of my top four starting pitchers, and then I get Manny Machado in, in the early third round at pick. Uh, that would be pick twenty-seven. I did think about taking Jack Flaherty and starting with just three starting pitchers, but I, I think it kind of worked out all right anyway. Scott, you took Bregman at pick twenty-eight. Uh, great points league player. He led all hitters in twenty nineteen in uh in fantasy points, but you now have two hitters in your first three picks. Bauer was your only starting pitcher to this point. Is mm-hmm. it too risky?
1: It, it's not too risky. I I don't I, I, I like I I guess the uh I don't know what range would you call it? The fifteen to thirty range at starting pitcher good enough that, you know, I I have five of my top thirty, I'm pretty sure. Uh so I, I don't feel like my pitching staff is a is a knock on my team. Uh, But like I said, I had to focus on pitching so much after this Bregman pick that I ended up missing out on a couple of positions, a couple of weak positions on the infield. And and so you look at my, my hitters and I see two holes right away that jump out uh, in my lineup. And you don't like to have any holes going into the season. As I've said twice already, this is the format to leave holes in your lineup. But it's still not ideal, and I still think I, i'm I'm just curious how my team would have turned out if I went Bieber there instead of trout at fourth overall it it's well, uh it's easy to assume it would look better since I'm not thrilled with the way this one came out, but maybe it won' it. It also
2: does raise it, it kind of begs the question what if you
1: overfilled starting pitcher? I don't yeah I mean maybe, but that that gets back. That gets back to what I was saying at the top. like let me, okay. a good, a good way to put it picks. is in a head-to-head points league, I'd rather have seven starting pitchers before I have seven hitters. It's just you need to make sure you get the scarce hitter spots.
2: Right, yeah. I, I guess looking at it, would you you know you ended up taking Dylan Bundy as your fifth starting pitcher in your first seven picks. Would you feel better about your team if you had Anthony Rizzo instead of Dylan Bundy? Rizzo being, you know, a much better points league player than a roto league player, mm-hmm. and then you know, whenever you took your first baseman, if you had a, a shortstop there instead, so I think that's where you said one of your.
1: your I don't think I that's was. one of my holes actually. Uh, I would not feel better about that. I had so at first base, I have Dominic Smith, who was better than Anthony Rizzo by a substantial margin last year, and I have Carlos Santana if Dominic Smith doesn't have the playing time, Carlos Santana. You know, he had a down year in a short year, but the underlying numbers still look good, and we know he's a points league stud consistently. So I, I feel good about first base. I, I mean, I guess I'll just go, go there since we're this far down that path. The, the two weaknesses, I think, are Mike Mustakis at second, and certainly DD Gregorius at shortstop. Um,
0: I don't mind Mustakis at, at second base, but yeah, I don't
1: um, DD at short he's mind all right. it. But it's one of the weaker starting second basemen in the league. But it, it's And a there's, good... there's a limit to his ceiling, I guess, is, is what I'd... Uh, I, I could see myself replacing him during the season, I guess.
0: It's a good question that you bring up, though, Chris, because in the round that Scott got Dom Smith was round 11, the shortstops that went right after that, Mondesi, all right, you're not going to take him in this format, but Correa went in the 11th round, Javier Baez went in the 11th round, Dansby Swanson went in the very next round, so yeah, maybe yeah. if you skipped out on Bundy and you took Rizzo there, or even another hitter, you know, whatever, a second baseman. Uh, there were some really good shortstops available. So well, it, what really yeah, happened? That's what then. I mean. If
2: if, if if it was, it's not that first base was a hole. It's that if you had f- picked another first baseman there, or another a different position, you know, right? A different right, shortstop, right. whatever. Um, and you you had a different fifth starter. So I think.
1: You know, Dominic Smith was kind of a, a pivot, a pivot point there because I was counting on at that point getting one of Carlos Correa, or Javier Baez, or Dans B. Swanson as my starting shortstop. Those three were left in a tier altogether. Um, I had remembered our discussion from a little bit before about how there's thirteen starting caliber shortstops in a league where only twelve there are only twelve starting shortstop spots, and so I thought. You know, there's still three from this tier. I I don't have to rush out and grab one yet uh, because, you know, I know there aren't that many shortstop spots to fill anyway. But see, what I didn't notice is that a guy took... The same guy who took Fernando Tatis in round one took Trevor Story in round two, and there was a second person who took a shortstop as a utility player. So suddenly it became 11 shortstops for 12 shortstop spots. And I was the guy who got left out. I missed out on this run of Correa, Baez, and Swanson right after my Dominic Smith pick. So I, you know, in retrospect, I would have taken one of those shortstops instead of Dominic Smith and I would have been happy with Carlos Santana as my starting first baseman in this format because I don't think there's anything wrong with him. Um yeah. but I I don't think I don't think passing up Bundy for Rizzo that, that just, that's not I, that's not the counterfactual I would entertain, I guess. I think Bundy's just it's seventh round Bundy's a little rich for me,
2: I guess. Because like I think Sandy Alcantara in in this format, mm-hmm. especially is I think he's gonna be every bit as good, if not better. Mm-hmm. And you got him five rounds later. So that that for me yeah. is where I think Bundy was probably a luxury. Um but that see you, that you could have maybe built a, a different type of team that you
1: might have felt a little more comfortable with. But part of you know. part of my philosophy with that is, yeah, Bundy, I don't feel great about Bundy as my fifth starter. But I don't want to put too many eggs in the Sandy Alcantara basket too. Sure. I'd rather give myself potential. Like I, I I want to have places where my pitching staff can fail, sure. and I can fill it in from the roster already existing instead of having to go out and find it on sure. the waiver wire because that's that's a road to disaster. I do think that there
0: are a lot of undervalued uh, pitchers late in this format that, you know, and we'll bring it up a little bit later, but um, just undervalued points, leagues, pitchers and uh, sleepers that you can target. I usually, I like to get four of my top 30 and then I just leave that one spot open for streamers. Hopefully one of these guys breaks out or, or two star pitchers for that final
2: starting spot. It is so much harder in this format to say that though, is, is the one thing I would say just because of the questions we have about workload for so many guys. You know, I, I look at, you know, the the bench spots in my pitching staff are like Tristan McKenzie and Kevin Gosman, who, you know, I, I like, uh, you know, McKenzie a little bit more, but I have concerns about how many innings either of those guys are going to throw, and that's more important in this format. You know, if mm-hmm. you get 130 innings out of Tristan McKenzie in a Roto League, he could be a super valuable player. If you get 130 innings out of Tristan McKenzie in a points league, He might be a a fringe guy. yeah. It just kind of depends on what the shape of those innings are. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's where it gets
0: a little trickier this year. I hear what you're saying, but say you want to dedicate three or four bench spots to starting pitchers. Mm -hmm. You can take two guys like Keuchel or Stroman or Brad Keller, who's like boring, whatever. They're a points league specialist. Marco Gonzalez is another name. Uh, And then take two of... Upside guys, Dane Dunning, Tyler Malley, uh John Means, and just see if it works out. So I think it's like a nice little balance to have uh with that. We spent way too much time on the third round. Uh Chris, I did just want to ask you, you took Tyler Glass now over Zach Gallon at pick thirty five. So in thirty seconds or less, defend yourself.
2: I probably should have just taken Gallon. <laughs> um <laughs>
0: I appreciate you know, you just I, giving it. I
2: think Glasnow will be better on a parenting basis, but um, you know, I think there are more questions about how much he's going to pitch than there are for Gallon. I think there are more questions about his durability than there are for Gallon. Um, you know, in, in looking back, I, I think Gallen probably should have been the pick there. I think he's probably more well suited to make an impact in this format than Glasnow is.
0: You did get Brandon Woodruff at pick thirty-eight as the sixteenth starting pitcher off the board. So I did I really like that pick. I will just point out, Kyle Hendricks went 33rd overall as the SP13. And I I think this is, he's very good in points leagues, but I think it's a good reminder to to let everyone know, just because you have Hendricks ranked that high, say you have him ranked inside your top 15, which I don't think you should, but you don't have to take him that early. Yeah, this is where knowing ADP comes to help because I think he probably would have lasted until definitely the fourth round, but maybe even the late fifth round. Um, I know people are aggressive here, but it's. I think it's, you know, you could be, you, you want your guys, but knowing the ADP, I think you could have got Kyle Hendricks a little bit later on. We'll take a quick break. When we return, we'll hit the rest of the mid rounds here and go over our teams, see if we liked them or not. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The fourth round, just a great round for hitters. Jose Abreu falls to pick uh, 37. Maybe not falls, but I think he's all right there. Uh, Rafael Devers at 39. Judge at 40. Meh, but he walks a lot, so that helps in this format. Corey Seager at 41. Uh, Great pick as well. Scott, you took Carlos Carrasco as your SP2 at pick 45, I took Lance Lynn with the very next pick as my third starting pitcher at uh, pick 46. Um, I'm not going to ask you about this one because I want to go ahead to the fifth round and, and then I'll just kind of bring it back. Uh, Vlad Guerrero went at pick 48, which is too early for me. Probably too early for most people. And I like him, but I have him 79th overall in my head-to-head points rankings. So it's very early. I get it, but too early. Fifth round, um, Patrick Corbin... When at pick fifty, I thought that was too early. Uh, Scott, you took um, you took Strasburg, so that's your third starting pitcher. Um, just a lot of risk, man. I think mm-hmm. Carrasco, Strasburg. You took Ryu in the next round too. So like your average age is like fifty, and maybe you'll get an <laughs> average. I don't think like... Ryu's
1: that risky though. <laughs> like... I actually I love the Strasburg pick. Yeah, in round five. Uh, yeah. it, it, what what makes it difficult isn't that I, well, it, the injury he's coming back from carpal tunnel syndrome on the uh, wrist. I guess is what the surgery was actually yeah. on. Um, we don't have a we don't have much of a track record for for yeah. that surgery at all. So it's it's kind of a mystery. And I I agree it's risky. I agree. You know, Carrasco just because of his age is risky. Uh Trevor Bauer, my number one is risky. He's on your bus list, Frank. Like, I I see all that. And that's why that's why I felt the need to, you know, get volume to um uh, to hedge my bet at starting pitcher. Uh so you know, I'm hoping four of my top six work out and then I'll be in good shape. And, you know.
2: You know, one thing I will say is Bauer's risky, but I think he's more of a bust in terms of like, he's not going to live up to his ADP. I I also have Jose Abreu on my bust list for the second year in a row. Uh, How dare you? He'll probably win AL MVP (laughs) as well. Um, And they're both like kind of weird busts because there's almost no, it's so hard to envision a a scenario where Trevor Bauer isn't in a head to head points league, probably a must-star guy. Just because he throws so many innings, he gets so many strikeouts. Um, It's it's risk in just like can he anchor your staff? Can he be the guy who anchors your ratios in a roto
0: league? You know, just to to clarify that. I got Bo Bichette at pick fifty one, and this you know fourth fifth round. Some of these middle rounds. I mean, you know, pitchers are getting pulled up the board. That means some hitters are going to fall. So Bo Bichette getting him in the fifth round. It sounds weird, but someone has to fall. Uh, Ozzy Albie's lasted to pick fifty four. Eloy Jimenez. Went all the way uh, at the back, the last pick of the fifth round at pick 60. So some of these names are falling, and that will happen as pitching gets pulled up. Uh, Chris, you took a few points league darlings here, starting pitchers to pair with your Glassnow and Brendan Woodruff. You took Zach Wheeler and Zach Greinke, the Zachs, with your 5-6 uh, turn. It's not sexy, but at this point you have Yelich, Jose Ramirez, Glassnow, Woodruff, Wheeler, and, and Greinke in a points league. That's, it's pretty damn good. It's pretty good.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, it's entirely possible that I drafted my starting pitchers in opposite order of where they'll finish. Um, <laughs> you know, Granky and, and Wheeler, I think in, in both instances, it was just uh, shoring up the volume after taking, you know, especially Glass now with the first pick. Uh, just not sure how many innings you're going to get from him. Um, and how much you know how many starts you're going to get from him Wheeler and Granky i think are both relatively steady it's it's kind of a weird thing to say about a guy who you know i think before the last two seasons was really defined by his inability to stay healthy and you know Granky who's 37 pretty old 35 36 37 something like that i think 37 um, yeah sounds about right but i don't know until we actually see him fall apart I'm just going to keep,
0: you know, especially when it costs a sixth round pick, I'm going to keep betting on it. Uh, In the sixth round, more hitter value. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I I just want to keep reiterating to people, specifically in points leagues, but for most drafts this year, uh, there's a lot of value in the middle rounds for hitters this season more than ever before, which is why I like taking uh, aces in, in those earlier rounds. So in the sixth round, we saw Marcelo Zuna pick 61, Pete Alonso, 65. Whit Merrifield, pick 67. Trent Grisham. I got Trent Grisham at, at pick 70. And maybe people are worried about him, but really good play discipline. He walks a decent amount. Um, he is in a really good lineup. And, and I will just point out, hitters, the hitters that I like to target in this format, hit in the top half of their respective lineups, um, and they're in good lineups. So I, I like targeting those because uh, it'll give you more opportunity for at bats, plate appearances, and more opportunity equals more fantasy points. So,
2: Zuna was the number one outfielder last year in this format. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. You know, obviously, there are questions about where he's going to land, but you kind of have to assume it's going to be somewhere with a good lineup. I hope Given so. Given that bad teams aren't
0: spending money anymore. I saw a rumor earlier in the offseason about the Giants. That would it it probably be great. not be ideal, but no. We'll see. We'll see, uh, we'll see where Marcelo Zuna lands. Uh, in the seventh round, Framber Valdez went at pick 74. Might seem early to some, but not to Scott. Give the good people uh, a reason why they should like Framber Valdez in this range, Scott. Seventh round. Seventh
1: round. So I think he was one of just... Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact stat because there's a good stat. But basically, Dusty Baker let him go seven innings with great consistency. Um, and, you know, I, I buy that he's a good pitcher. His ground ball rate was the best by far last year. It was, you know, that's never been an issue for him. He's always been an extreme ground ball guy. The issue for him has been walks, which is something he seemed to to get past last year. For an extreme ground ball pitcher, the strikeout rate is, is solid. I mean, it's more than a strikeout per inning. So there's a lot to like about Framber Valdez but the biggest for this format specifically is the Astros are willing to ride him and I mean that that's the biggest differentiator. I mean you have to be a good pitcher but the the biggest differentiator between the good and the great is uh is how many innings you're throwing and specifically how many innings you're throwing per start as opposed to just how many innings you end up with because you made 34 starts or whatever.
0: Yeah. So I
1: I think he was one of just three pitchers who went seven innings six times. You Darvish was one and there may have been one other, but Fromber Valdez was like, you know, a standout in that area.
0: Yep. He did go at least seven, six different times in 2020. He went at least six innings in nine of his last 10 appearances. One of those was a relief appearance where I, I guess someone got blew, uh, blown up and he just came in and, and pitched like he was the starter. But uh, yeah, lots of volume for Framer Valdez lends himself to this format. I took Max Freed uh, with the next pick, pick 75 right after Valdez. That gave me four of my top 30 starting pitchers, which is which has been the goal in every draft thus far. Garrett Cole, Aaron Nola, Lancelin, Max Freed. Uh, and I noticed that all three of us had at least four starting pitchers by the seventh round. Uh, Luis Robert, if you're following along at home to the draft, <laughs> uh, in the it, Luis Robert in the seventh, just at pick 78, it might seem weird. It might seem like he lasted too long, but just so many strikeouts, you know, 30 plus percent strikeout rate. Uh, and his first taste in the majors could go up maybe it goes down but that that is that is a good amount of strikeouts which hurts in this format uh Chris you are diving back in Josh Bell with pick uh with pick 81 you took him ahead of Paul Goldschmidt any words for that uh i, I think
2: Josh Bell's going to be pretty good you know i, I think uh, a lot of the underlying numbers were still pretty good um again it's one where like i could have taken Goldschmidt i think Goldschmidt at this point kind of taps out at pretty good. Um, and I, I think there's a chance Josh Bell can still be great. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, you, you look at the other first baseman who went in that range. Like, in this format, I like him more than Matt Olson. Um, you know, Goldschmidt, there's always the chance that there's a decline. And that's kind of the end of a first base tier. So, it was one
1: of those guys. I, I think you're... I think you're kind of on an island with that, though, uh, okay. across the industry. And, and I like Josh Bell, too. I have him in my sleepers 1.0. He's one of those players whose strikeout rate uncharacteristically blew up in the short season. And he's talked about how, you know, being affected by the lack of video access. Um, so I'm excited to draft him. But round seven is about where he was going last year. And it just sure. seems like the industry as a whole is really down on him. Like round 15 down on him.
2: That makes sense. I, I, the biggest thing for me is the biggest issue he had, yes, the strikeout rate uh, dropped, but the biggest issue was that he actually had arguably his worst season as a power hitter. And I just think the underlying numbers don't really back that up. I, you know He still had a, a strong exit, average exit velocity, strong max exit velo, strong hard hit rate. Um, and the plate discipline's been so good for most of his career that I think there's a, a really strong chance that he bounces back.
0: Mm. Yeah, he, um, he did hit the ball hard still, but the, the launch angle went back down. He hit a lot of ground balls mm-hmm. uh, last season. That was, that was up around 55%. Yep. So, uh, But even then, that's an outlier for his career. Yeah. Um, you know, he'd never been above 51% before. We saw Josh Hader, the first relief pitcher off the board, at pick 84. Scott, what is your uh, general strategy when it comes to relief pitchers in this format? And we haven't talked about them yet. Who are the best sparps for 2021? That would be a starting pitcher as relief pitcher. That is a cheat code, something that you guys have talked about for many years here where you can use um, a starting pitcher who has relief pitcher eligibility in that role. So what is your strategy, Scott? And
1: who are some of those Mm. sparps? for this year. So my strategy in the head-to-head points league regarding relievers is don't draft them. <laughs> I mean, you eventually have to fill those spots, but you're going to be able to fill them with a projected closer. And that's that's mainly what matters to me. There's so much turnover during the season, you know, you you can't be that confident that anyone you draft is going to be the guy you stick with in your relief pitcher spot all year anyway. Anyway, you just want you just want them to be filled with somebody who has a chance of sticking with them sticking in that role all year. Uh, But because there are only two relief pitcher spots to fill, there's going to be enough to go around. It's different from a Roto League where, you know, every team is looking to draft three closers. Sometimes someone will draft four closers. That's not happening here. Everybody's just going with two. There's enough. Just wait. Uh, The the exception would be if there is a high-quality Sparp who could compete you, you know, a really good starting pitcher in a relief pitcher spot will outscore a really good closer in this format. So those guys are worth paying up for, like uh, like a Carlos Carrasco was at this time last year. Yeah. The problem is there's nobody like that this year. This is the weakest SPARP class I can ever remember. I think the highest one is A.J. Puck, who <laughs> missed all of last season with injury. We think he probably has a rotation spot for the A's, but it's not guaranteed. And he's entirely unproven at the major league level. After that, you have guys like Nick Pavetta, who had a couple decent starts for the Red Sox late last year, and used to be a thing.
2: There, I mean, there aren't more than ten SPARP eligible players or relief pitcher eligible players who we think will open in their rotation. Let alone be like you, you. You look at the list, and like you've got Michael Lorenzen, who's got a chance to open in the rotation. Luis Patino probably won't. Jose Quintana maybe. Uh, Alex Wood, maybe. It is it is bleak this year.
1: Jose Quintana, I think, is going to be a starter. I feel pretty confident about that. They're paying him like a starter the Angels are. Um, and, and he might be the single pitcher with the biggest difference in value between Roto and head-to-head if that's the case. Because he's not very good anymore, but he is a reliable innings eater. And in a relief mm. pitcher spot, I think that's going to have value in this format. I think he's pretty much worthless. And... A roto league or a five by five categories league. All
0: right, guys, we only have a few minutes left. Let's just uh, kind of wrap up with some overall thoughts on our teams. Maybe you want to focus on pitching a little bit, but uh, Chris, what did you think about how your team turned out here? Four starting pitchers in the first six rounds, but you did start with two hitters in the first two rounds.
2: I'm pretty happy with it, and you know, I think part of that is because I, I identified some hitters who you know, maybe potentially undervalued in this format. And, you know, I think of someone like Alex Verdugo, who, you know, has really good plate discipline, should hit in a good part of that lineup. And, you know, I think that lineup will be better than it was last season. I think J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers will have better seasons. Um, Nelson Cruz, he's going to be on a lot of my teams. He's going to be a value uh, until he stops being one, uh, you know, him and Tommy Listelle, I also drafted two guys who don't have a team currently. So, you know, we'll see what ends up going on with, with that. Um, but all in all, for taking two two hitters with my first two picks and then loading up on starting pitcher, I feel pretty good about it. Um, you know, I think I got a, a pretty good mix of upside and uh, and stability in my starting pitching staff, but you know, all of my starting pitchers in my in my rotation, Glasnow, Granky, Tristan McKenzie, Zach Wheeler, and Brandon Woodruff, you know, Zach Wheeler's probably the safest of them. And that's what happens. It's not, it's not that you can't get good starting pitchers if you wait, but you're going to have to deal with some worse. but I'm, I'm happy with the team overall.
0: Scott, what'd you think of your team? You started with two hitters in the first three rounds and you got the old folks home at, at starting pitcher. So what do you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, I wish my lineup worked, looked better. My, my, um, My pitchers are Bauer, Carrasco, Strasburg, Ryu, Bundy, and then I have Sandy Alcantara there. I have James Paxton, who I'm taking a flyer on. We still don't know where he's going to land. Uh, So I I think the pitching staff should be fine, Uh, but Moustakis stands out as somebody who's just going to be passable as a starter in this format and DD Gregorius he might be passable he was passable last year but again that's the upside for him um so i mean Trout and Bregman they should both be studs but i i don't like having those two holes i'm, I'm glad i have a quality catcher in Salvador Perez who i think went uh when did he go 10th round? like i'm finding he's really easy to get surprisingly easy to get and not leave yourself with a with a weakness at catcher he should play a lot um One thing that I noticed in this draft that I'm noticing in every draft, J.D. Martinez, I got him in my utility spot. Those DH-only guys, there are so many of them, and they're just not getting drafted up to their value at all. I mean, J.D. Martinez, I got him in round nine in this league. Jordan Alvarez, you got him one pick before, so still round nine in this draft, Frank. I think um, Nelson
2: Cruz was just around before that.
1: And it went to you, Chris. Yeah. Yep. So Nelson Cruz went in round eight, JD Martinez and Jordan Alvarez went in round nine. These are three guys who perform like second rounders in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and just in terms of production, if you're not factoring in position scarcity and all of that. So to get them this late, like that's something I'm going to be looking to do in every draft. Unless the market corrects itself between now and opening day. That's just, that's just a must for me for my utility spot. The value's too good.
0: Yeah, util only. I love it. All three of us grabbed uh, some great util only hitters uh, in this draft. Um, you know, I remember we were arguing about Salvador Perez so much towards the end of the season, Scott, and it seems like you're getting him in every one of these mock drafts. So
1: I, know, I love it. Like nobody, literally nobody wants him. It's hard to... I'll
0: take him too. Yeah, I, I wound <laughs> up with what I consider a, a good catcher as well. I got Will Smith as my catcher. Um, Machado was my first hitter taken in the third round. Have no issue... Having him as the best hitter on my team, still wound up with some guys that I think have some upside in Bo Bichette and Alvarez and Trent Grisham, some bounce back guys. Goldschmidt is fine. Uh, Austin Meadows, I've talked up a lot. Jeff McNeil, just you know, rock solid for this format. Pitching staff, got four of my top 30 uh, in Garrett Cole, Lance Lynn, Nola, Max Freed, uh, and then it's loaded up on... Keichel, Dane Dunning, Tyler Malley, John Means, Jameson Tyone, and hope that one of those or multiple of them become serviceable as a fifth starting pitcher, you know, streamer and the right matchups, two-star pitchers, whatever it might be. Uh, so, yeah, I really like just hammer out those first four and then target a lot of guys uh, late with upside or are just undervalued in this format. So you can find all the results of this draft on the website cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Let us know who had the best team. Tweet at us. Email us. Let us know who dominated this draft. Uh, We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching. We'll be back again tomorrow with our sleepers, breakouts, and bus one bye Bye-bye.